Welcome to a new episode of Erasing Shame. Thank you for joining us this September, which is a very important month, Suicide National Suicide Prevention Month. And we're going to be talking about that topic all month. And so this is a content warning, a trigger warning, that we will be talking about suicide. Now, for those of you that may be uh, with someone or yourself might be in crisis, there's now a national hotline, 988, that you can call and get help immediately uh, when you don't know what to say and don't know what to do and you're on the edge or someone you love and care about or even a stranger, call 988 for immediate help, a tremendous resource. My name is DJ Chuang, your co-host, and I'm joined with Erica Kang. And so glad to see you. I've heard about you for years. Um, before your husband, Tom Kang, mm-hmm. was on staff at Saddleback Church. Mm-hmm. And now he is pastor in Los Angeles at mm-hmm. New Story Church. Mm-hmm. In one of the sermons that he shared back at Liquid Church in New Jersey, oh, I didn't realize that he either. mentioned uh, his wife, Erica, and how you had struggled with mental health. And that was always bookmarked in my mind because mm-hmm. mental health has been a very intentional and active part of my life mm-hmm. because I have to manage my own bipolar mm-hmm. and occasionally I have suicidal ideation mm-hmm. and it's not a fun place to be but um, of course not yeah. but when we don't talk about it it becomes that much more of a burden and so we want to create a safe place to have those conversations and show how we can talk about it and share some stories that can help erase the stigma and normalize it. So one of the things I mentioned to you, we want normal people talking about suicide. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a medical, clinical thing that's far away, but mm-hmm. it affects our lives in the here and now. Sure. But first, I want to check in with you, how you're doing. Uh, as we talk, um, first week of September, you're a mom of three, mm-hmm. and we've just survived the pandemic. Still surviving, but yeah, slowly emerging, feels like, yeah. Um, It's, I feel a little bit of, um, like I've been in a time warp, Mm -hmm. Um, and still, you know, like when you're on a roller coaster ride that spins, you try to find where up and down is. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a prolonged up and down because you're not, it's it's life, you know, like the roller coaster's contained to one spot in time mm-hmm. whereas life is you know um, your reality and, and so when I'm in a new place or in a place I haven't been in a while you know it, it feels a little unsettling mm. and you almost forget how to function in well, different settings you know so yeah but I think that's all of us I think all yes. of us are experiencing that to some degree very much yeah so you're in an okay place now oh yeah yeah um it's a new school year, so it feels um, like new starts. There's a bit What of does that, that involve for you? Uh, more time, <laughs> less driving, less oh. mouths to feed in the home. And that wasn't the case during the pandemic because we were mm. always home. Yes. Everybody's always home and somebody's always hungry and somebody always needs a snack or a ride. It was almost like everything's on demand. Um, and very little routine and structure and being back in school. I mean, they were, they've been back in school full time, but I actually had one of my kids 
had to go back to a hybrid style because of mm -hmm. some health issues she was having. Mm -hmm. So I felt that prolonged things, even though like most everyone had returned full time last year, mm -hmm. I still felt like I was stuck in a different, I mean, I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to be hybrid or, or to support mm -hmm. her in that way. But finally, th all three are, are in school every day. And that hasn't mm -hmm. been the norm um, for a few years now. Wow. So, so I'm, yeah. <laughs> so you're on the brink of normalcy. A, a bit, it feels. A new normal. But, um, and it's like, oh, this is what it used to be like. But also, you know, there's a bit of PTSD, right? It's like, mm. okay, is this going to shift? I'm get, I got an mm. email from the school last night. Cases are spiking again. Oh. You know, we're not going to be sending emails. But, I mean, thankfully, the cases are not as fatal, you know. But, you know, it's going to happen when people are regathering context. They're not used to being in all the time. People are Sick, so. Mm -hmm. so, but. so there's a lot of activity. How does that affect you mentally and emotionally? A lot of activity. In what sense, activity? Well, you've described a very full schedule uh -huh. for mom. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure if you're working these days. Uh, yes. So, I, yeah, I do, I do still um, work part time mm -hmm. um, here at Saddleback Church. Okay. And um, that allows me to have a little bit of my, my own time and um, do something that I love, which is just pick things apart and edit and develop a curriculum for the church. So, um, um, I mean, by nature, I'm, I, I, fe I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a very adaptable person, either for better or for worse, and so um, I guess I'm enjoying Things being a little bit more, more stretches of, of a long time and not being yeah, constantly asked for something. Mm. <laughs> or at least I know when it's coming and I know when to expect it instead of it being every 15 minutes. So. Well, because it sounds like being a mom, you're almost on call, on demand with a lot of requests all the time. Mm -hmm. You, for your own, uh, health and sanity, you might not have that time and space to be attending to how you're doing. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to explore that uh, yeah. with you in terms of what does self-care look like for you, mm -hmm. plus with your lived experience and family history mm -hmm. and how all that um, mm -hmm. flows mm -hmm. into that. So would you like to do a historical review about your family life growing up? Sure. Um, so, um, I grew up in, uh, in an immigrant home. I was actually the first um, in my family, an extended family, to be born in the United States. So mm. my parents immigrated um, from Korea in the early 70s. Um, and I had two older sisters. Um, before I was born, they were much older than me. Mm. And they were 11 and 14, 15 years older than I was. Oh, wow. And so they, so they were like a, a family entity before I was even in the picture when they moved to, mm -hmm. to the U.S. And, um, you know, not having been a witness to their, their lived experience, um, you know, you, you can imagine the hardships and the transition that any immigrant family goes through of learning a new culture, yes. uh, language, trying to make ends meet, mm -hmm. um, navigating a whole new world and, and worldview. Quite frankly, yes. 
and at an age where you're pretty impressionable. So they were like four and seven, eight oh. years old. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, just, I, I you know, I, I don't want to, I, I can't go into detail. I mean, I've heard different stories, you mm -hmm. know, of experiences and tr trauma that they, they, they went through. Mm -hmm. But long, fast forward, um, I was born in an, when they were probably in, when was 11, when was 15, so they're, yeah, they're 11, 15 years older than I was, and um, I kind of brought, uh, I guess, a new element of, of life and novelty, um, probably, <laughs> they didn't give me a Korean name, you know, they gave me an, an American name, and so. So um, where, where did your family settle? Uh, it, before I was born in New York, okay. Elmhurst, uh -huh. and then eventually New Jersey, and right. a brief period in Florida, which is where I was actually born, but oh, only by birth. I, mm -hmm. They lived there a very short time. Mm -hmm. I was born there, and literally they moved back um, to New Jersey. Yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, so in some ways, um, my sisters, particularly my second one, um, the, the middle one uh, were like surrogate mothers to me because they had at that point adapted to the culture and knew the language well. Whereas, mm. um, so they were almost like a bridge for, for or go between between my parents mm -hmm. and myself. So, um, but when I was at around seven years old, um, my second sister Sunny had told me, sat me down, um, had explained one day that suddenly my older sister wasn't going to be back anymore. And at the time, I didn't know what had happened in my seven-year-old mind. I think she f tried to frame it the best way she could. Um, but later on, I would come to know that it was a suicide. Wow. Um, I actually didn't didn't put those two things together until um, Sunny, my, my second sister, also committed suicide when I was 11. Wow. Because at that point, I was at an age where I had access to friends who were in law enforcement or who had parents in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. There were some articles um, mm -hmm. about the occurrence. And then it kind of made my young, impressionable adolescent mind think, oh, you know, because I didn't know the, the, the circumstances of my older sister. And she was, I wasn't as close with her. She had moved out of the house by the time I was. By, by the time when, when she had passed on. Um, and so I did some digging on my own um, and confirmed like, oh, these were both suicides. Wow. And I remember thinking as a kid when I was a couple of years before my second sister died, um, you know, the worst case scenarios, you know, you're just kind of going through your mind like, oh, I lost one sister. What if I lose my other one? Mm. Like, what's going to happen then? Like, oh, mm. my gosh, I can't I can't imagine. Like, what are the odds? You know, in, in your old life, in my yes. young mind, I'm like, oh, but that would never happen because that's a pretty that's a pretty rare occurrence, you mm -hmm. know, for whether it's a suicide or whether it's an accident, you know, mm -hmm. it would, and and then when it did happen, it was like, Oh my gosh, the bottom fell out, and I just wow. felt like, oh, anything can happen. Hmm. Um, so it was it was pretty traumatic, yes. um, not only to you know to experience a death in my family. I mean, 
when she died, we were sharing a bedroom, even though she was 22 at mm -hmm. the time, and I was um, 11 going on 12. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it was, um, I forget where I was going with that, but um, that's really, that death is really kind of what kind of the ground, it, the ground seemed to swallow up under me. Because I wasn't at an age where I, things could be broken down in simple forms like the way she did with my oldest sister. My parents were in complete devastation and shock and trauma. Um, and the only thing they knew how to how to handle, like they were handling their own grief. Yes. And then there, there's me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm at an age where I'm not yet a child you know, anymore, but I'm also not a full-grown adult. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but I'm smart enough to make... To, to, to put things together and I remember somehow they found out that I knew it was a suicide and I think that was something that they were trying to hide from me. Oh. They were trying, they didn't want me to know the realities, they just, and, and I would hear them talk about it with others, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. And it would, it was always the same story, it was a car accident. Mm -hmm. And and I knew it wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had this conflict of, okay, I know the reality, but why are they? And at some point, I remember my parents or my mom coming into, like, we were locked in a room together, and she said, who told you this, and how did you know, and how did you find out? Mm -hmm. And almost the sense of, don't believe it, that's not true. Mm -hmm. And so, but I knew it was true. Mm -hmm. And... And really, in, in hindsight, it's, it's, it was their own fears, you know, and their own trauma of not knowing not only how to deal with their own grief, but also the aftermath of how it would affect me. Yes. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's a pretty common thing. I mean, not just among Asians, but, you know, with, you know, it's a, I can't, I mean, just thinking about anybody with a, like a, a mom and dad, even as a parent, like if I had lost... Mm -hmm. You know, two children to suicide, mm -hmm. the enormous shame, you know, that yes. would leave me with um, feeling like I'm a failure as a parent, mm -hmm. I'm a failure. Um, so I don't, you know, in any way, they were doing the best they could. Yes. I was doing the best I could with the circumstances. And, um, but yeah, that was a really pivotal moment in my life. Um, I suddenly went from um, an awkward middle schooler to quickly dealing with, you know, situations of life and death, mm -hmm. and no one else around me was dealing with that, mm -hmm. so I felt like an alien um, mm -hmm. as I navigated through middle school, uh, and then not only that, not not being able to to even talk facts with my own parents. Mm -hmm. I remember. The summer after she, my second sister died, I was away at a camp, and I came home to all of her things being disposed of mm. and moved away, wow. erasing, erasing <laughs> things so that I, you know, because that for them was how to deal with it. Mm. That's how they felt was the best way to mm. uh, protect me. Mm. Um, because, God forbid, I... I followed in their footsteps, and we know statistically, right, if, if there's a suicide close by, chances are that much higher for, mm -hmm. for another, and that was true mm -hmm. amongst my, with my sisters, 
but I don't think they realized, you know, like I, I have learned um, that I learned early, thankfully early on that like I needed to find an outlet mm -hmm. even at 11, 12, 13. Mm -hmm. And I knew it couldn't be my parents because mm -hmm. they just, they didn't have the strength or even the cultural lens right. through which to do that. And so yeah. uh, the local church was really um, what's kind of saved my life. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, just the availability of older, um, you know, followers of Christ who knew, knew about my circumstances somewhat. Um, but it was, you know, but it's also heavy, a heavy thing to, to bring into someone else's, you know, world. Like, how do you, how, how do I help? Like, like a 12 year old girl, how do I explain to her what's happened mm -hmm. and the why when I don't even understand mm -hmm. why? Um, so I mean, I would imagine the worst fear your parents would have is maybe a third, sure. suicide, just as you described, having two suicides, suicide is unmanageable. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, because of their upbringing and life experience, they don't have a lot of resource to draw from on getting help that they need or preventing. In some ways, I think the help that they had sought for my sisters, uh, be, shortly before my second sister, um, this wasn't her first attempt. Oh, wow. um, it, it, there was a, a couple other attempts that were unsuccessful. Um, and so she had been committed into a hospital. Um, and I think they, they felt the hospital, actually, the professionals, they felt made it worse. So they felt, you know, they had no answers. They had no mm -hmm. solutions. Even the people who were the professionals that should have been able to help them um, mm -hmm. or help her, they, they were scared of and didn't want to seek out. And so yes. for the longest time, that's why I could never ask them, I think I need to see a counselor. I would like to see a counselor. Or I would like to seek out possibly, like, maybe I need some medication. You mm -hmm. know, that wasn't something I was able to pursue until mm -hmm. I was out of the house. Okay. So... This is how many years ago, the second suicide? Uh, this is about 1990. I'm trying to do my math. That's okay. That would make it 24. Oh. Wow. No, 30. 32 years almost, right? 90, 22. Yep. Yeah, 22, 32. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> wow. A lot of life has happened. A lot of life, yeah. And you've, you've gained your own life experience. How do you make sense of what happened 30 so 32, uh, 32 years ago, with your sisters passing away prematurely due to suicide. Um, you know, as I, it, it, it took a while. I mean, mm -hmm. you, my my response and what I'm sharing is is a product of of many years of, of therapy mm -hmm. and processing and tears and mm -hmm. uh, reflection. Um, and now being a mom and raising um, three young ladies, mm -hmm. um, it's given me a different perspective. Um, I think if you asked me in my early 20s, I, I, I would have said, you know, we, we know that immigrants, I, 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 I don't know the statistics off the mm -hmm. top of my head, but there is a higher rate and prevalence of suicide amongst mm -hmm. um, immigrants because you lose yourself. You lose a sense of identity, and you're trying to find a different one and acclimate. Mm -hmm. And I think that experience for them was was something they did not adjust to mm -hmm. and cope with. Mm -hmm. um, 
which, you know, and so you look for that identity in different ways, you know, just much like any, any child in a different generation, they want to be accepted, yes. they want to be loved. Um, and I think it, it just made them more vulnerable mm -hmm. to find it in the wrong places mm -hmm. with, um, I think there were substances mm -hmm. um, involved of boys, wrong, wrong boys involved mm -hmm. and a lot of pain that that made them feel like they had no no other option because mm. turning to their parents was not something they felt safe with and then the people that they thought they could be safe with outside the home they were betrayed by mm. so Super. i think mm -hmm. you know that's how i processed it you know yeah. and um looking back i i think yeah, there was just probably a deep sense of pain that they didn't know how to process and how to resolve and um, needed relief. And I know, I, I very much know like my second sister was probably deeply affected by her, by, mm -hmm. by my older sister's yes. death, you know, and felt like, you know, they were much closer in age and had more shared experiences growing up that I, I'm not aware of, mm -hmm. but I, 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 I believe and can conclude, I think, safely that, you know, both of the, their deaths were very um, impact, impactful yes. to them um, and it impacted me in a, in a different way mm -hmm. um, because I was still young and I didn't, I didn't experience all they, that they experienced, but mm -hmm. at least I had the same um, frame because we had the same parents yes. and same lived experiences. Um, as Asian Americans um, facing, you know, oh, I'm not quite like the majority, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that's why I was devastated, honestly, in my 11 year old mind, because I felt like I lost a big sister who would help me navigate mm -hmm. my teen years. Mm -hmm. um, something I didn't, I had no confidence that mm -hmm. my parents would even understand. Mm -hmm. So, and not, not to, nothing against them, I, I, don't, I don't speak that disrespectfully. It's just, um, I think there was a part of me that took pride in having an older sister who could drive, mm -hmm. who was, who, who smoked, you know, who played <laughs> loud music, who had a sunroof, you know, and there's, there's something, there's a little yes. bit of, as, as a kid, you, you kind of hold on to those things because not every kid gets to experience that. So, yes. yeah. Since that time, describe what self-care looks like for you and how your recovery journey has been? Well, I think before I can get there, I can, I, I feel like mm -hmm. I need to start with, you know, I think having where I came from, mm -hmm. which I, 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 I very much described, but basically the model I was given was, I felt like I wouldn't live past 22. Mm -hmm. That was the, that was the wow. curse or the message I felt on my life um, up and uh, from, the age I was 11 because that was that was my experience mm -hmm. you know my sisters were mm -hmm. both 22 at the time that they died oh and um I felt like that was going to be my lot too mm -hmm. um so um having come from that place I really had to I had to kind of ask myself the hard questions is that true and why is that not true and how can how can that not be true so there's a lot of of wrestling um, I needed to do um, because I heard it from church that, well, 
you know, God is love, God, you know, um, a suicide is, is, is sin in some ways, you know, it's taking life into your own hands. And I just had to wrestle with, it was just, I couldn't ignore it. You know, I think mm-hmm. a lot of kids at that age can go through life and not really think about that, but <laughs> I had to start. And so self-care came hard, you know, it, it was something I had to fight for and I had to find it in places that uh, I had to be creative. Uh, <laughs> um, I just knew that I needed to be honest and I, I, it's not that I was trying to be rebellious towards my parents. It's more like I had a reality in my mind that wasn't acknowledged in my home. And so I either was going to go crazy mm-hmm. or I was going to be like, am I going, or I was going to try to affirm this reality outside my home. Um, mm-hmm. But thankfully, you know, God had placed different people and communities in my life um, where I felt safe enough mm-hmm. to share. Mm-hmm. Um, it, not completely, you know, it was always a risk and it was always an adventure into new territory, but um, felt safe enough to to truly be honest um, and take time and, you know, different air phases of my life that meant I, I, I had to take a leave of absence in, in my college years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I was creative about it because it was technically a medical leave from college. I was, I went to the, the college counselor and mm-hmm. just felt like I couldn't cross. Um, I was in school in New York City at the time and I, I, I was scared to go to class because I was afraid I would hurl myself in front of it. Mm-hmm. Of, a, of a taxi cab so I would stay in my room mm-hmm. and bottom line I I learned that reaching out for help was was crucial in in not being swallowed up by it yes. no matter how ridiculous and how crazy or how overwhelming I felt like I was being mm-hmm. um, I knew I needed to do that otherwise the other option was to be swallowed up by myself mm-hmm. um, and I think the more I, I did that, the more I realized the darkness inside, the hopelessness inside um, became a lot less powerful because mm-hmm. you're bringing things to the light. Yes. You're exposing it. Yes. And you're, you're giving others a chance to speak into it rather than the, the, the hopelessness of the emotions to be an echo chamber in your mind mm-hmm. to a point where it just weighs you down mm-hmm. and um, like... And, and you feel like you can't you can't recover or come up for air and so um, yeah I just that's I think that's a gift that I, I learned early on and, um, and I I try to you know instill in my kids like look there's no thought or emotion that's gonna be too scary or too weird you know for you to think or to share that's mm-hmm. um, that's gonna make me it's going to elicit some kind of shame or judgment. Mm. Um, I'd much rather take, I'd much rather be sad and hurt by what you're thinking or, or feeling than dishonest. Mm. Um, because if you're dishonest and hiding, then I can't, I can't help you. No one yes. can help you if you're trying to hide mm-hmm. um, because you're not, you're not actually dealing with reality. So I don't know if that answers your question. Well, There's a lot there. <laughs> we're here to create space for honest conversation. Sure. And thank you so very much for sharing your life. Yeah. Uh, honestly. Because it, it is a very painful and difficult topic to talk about. 
Yeah, and it's a, it's a topic yeah. I... I wanted to be careful that it didn't yeah. re-traumatize you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think it's also, um, for me at this stage of my life, and even growing up, it's been a delicate balance of respecting my parents as well. Um, yes. And I think, I honestly, I, I foresee as I get older, being able to share more freely, but at the same time, not wanting to... Also, like you're saying, traumatize my parents in the process or re-traumatize because they, you know, I can't force them into into dealing or into healing the way I think it needs to be done or I, I wish it could be done. Mm-hmm. And in, in their minds, they've probably moved on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and done and handled things the best that the way they could. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yes, it's, it's kind of a delicate balance. Now, I... I think I, I, I thought it was important. My husband and I thought it was important at some point. We, we don't want to keep this a secret. Mm. I'm sure my parents would have had um, other ideas, and um, uh, as most grandparents do, you know, <laughs> they, they, they probably think mm-hmm. their kids are doing it all wrong or parenting all wrong, and I'm sure I'll think the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's important, and yes. it's just creating that space for them. To be like, no, this is. I, we don't think that there's any family secrets. You know, when it's an age-appropriate time, and we felt mm-hmm. like that they could handle it. So, mm-hmm. um, so it was always a little tricky. I think when you first heard um, back at Liquid, they were still very young, and that was something mm-hmm. we hadn't shared. But it was also something we we wanted to keep, you know, and later show our kids, um, so that they would understand and not because those 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 skeletons in your closet have a way of coming out. They they they'll find their way out, you know. Even if you try to to bury them, um, and you know, I think back to like that time when my mom kind of sat me down. I was like, that's not true, you know. Uh, and just looking at her and thinking, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like I'm facing two different realities, and um, I just never wanted to. You know, be in a place where I put my kids in that spot where they felt like I was a complete, I was not seeing them, you know. And not that my parents weren't seeing me, um, they were doing their best to protect me in the best way they knew how. Mm-hmm. And they thought hiding it was the best thing. So, well, we live in a very different world. Mm-hmm. And I, I take inspiration from the Bible that we live as children in the light. Mm-hmm. And God. Helps us to see in the light. Yep. And that's how we can grow and that's how we can heal. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've learned in life on mental health journey is being in the light. It's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And honest, honesty has been a big part. Oh, the, the last thing I wanted to say was sure. that it's almost like mental health is a very personalized and customized journey. Mm-hmm. So each person has to find their own way. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a generational thing or here's best practices or here's a recipe. Sure. Or here's the medications that's going to work for you. Right. All of us have to do the hard work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes the first step is just finding the will to live and to push through. And I know that's the temptation for me. Mm-hmm. At times, at the hardest time, sure. to give up. Yeah. I, and I think at those times, it's great to have 
a plan in place. Like mm. there were times I I actually sought out. I'm like, look, if I'm feeling like this, I feel so embarrassed sharing this, you know. But it's the reality that I'm living in, and if I don't say something, then I know the chances are better that I'll carry through, or mm. you know, whatever suicidal ideations I have. So I don't know. I think it was by the grace of God, I, I would seek out people, you know, and forsake my own pride, you know, and just be like, I'm going to call you at like two in the morning mm -hmm. um, if I feel this way, because otherwise I'm, I'm scared of what else I might do. Um, I think having those people in your life is important. And yes. I, I and that's why I take pride or not take pride, but I really try to if I'm in a circumstance where I can say that to someone else and even creating a setting like this yes. normalizes like um because i think a lot of times growing up you're like oh my gosh if i share that that they're not going to know how to react they're not going to know what to say and you mm -hmm. almost fear their rejection of that they're going to run away <laughs> when it's scary for you to live with um but i think the alternative of not staring is even more dangerous than yes. that fear and i think um there comes a time where I think that that really is kind of the dividing line and the fork in the road. If you take that risk to mm -hmm. to risk fearing judgment from others. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, you know, that can be met in the wrong parties and in the wrong hands. Uh, but but that's why we're here, right? To, yes. to demonstrate and to be evidence and proof that, no, it doesn't have to be that way. There are people there, who... There are safe people. Mm -hmm. And you just got to find them. Yes. And don't give up. Find them and hold on to them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and if they get too tired, then find some others. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Erica, for sharing your life your experiences. Thanks for having me. And these are hopeful words for those that are listening yeah. and watching. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks to my dear sister, Erica Kang, for being so very honest to share her life with us. I believe that her courage to open up so personally will help us to find our way through the dark tragedies and sufferings of life together. Join me in a short prayer. Thank you, God, for showing up strong for Erica and her family. We pray for every person hearing the sound of my voice that they will have the strength and faith to take their next step or even the first step towards health and healing with you and your people. Amen. If you or you know someone that has thoughts of suicide, the first step is to talk with someone that's safe. The truth is you are not alone. There are people who care about you. You can call 988 for help or call 988 for your friend or family member. Anyone that's overwhelmed with life and pain, call for help. Sharing your feelings is the beginning of healing. Each person is different, and some would prefer to talk with a total stranger, and some would like to talk with someone they know or someone they kind of know. So as you're getting to know me on this podcast, maybe some of you will feel safer to give me a call. So give me a call. My number is 949 243-7260 or you can text. 
You can also contact us anonymously at our website, erasingshame.com. We have a contact form where you can drop in a voice message. We'd love to hear from you and how we can help you in life. Please subscribe to the Erasing Shame podcast on your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and also on Facebook and YouTube. And please add a rating, a review, and a share so that more people can find Erasing Shame for encouraging Christian Asian mental health.